you have your Bibles with you and you want to turn there, I'm going to be uh, taking some scripture out of the gospel according to Luke in chapter 8. And uh, we'll be looking at a few other places in the Bible, probably just referencing those, but the main body of our scripture is going to come out of the gospel according to Luke in chapter 8. And uh, we'll start reading at verse 41. And this is a this is a set of scripture that I, I, I honestly find myself revisiting a lot. And I would say maybe <laughs> as people that have probably heard me preach more than just about anybody else, you probably noticed I, I, I come to this scripture a whole lot. Uh, because there's so much going on here in, in Luke chapter 8 and in this particular set of verses, you know, that uh, it's real easy to find yourself here regularly. And uh, in this particular instance, there's kind of two things that are happening at once. Uh, that Jesus is, somebody comes to Jesus and asks him to come heal their child. And then in the midst of him going and trying to uh, get through the crowds that are there and they're mobbing him and everything, that another miracle takes place while he's on the way. And uh, the thing is, is that all of this, the man coming and talking to Jesus and asking him to come and heal his daughter, the woman crawling through the crowd literally on her hands and knees and touches the hem of his garment, it's all about faith. And, you know, that, that in this day and time, I think one of the big problems is the subversion of what exactly faith is. And, you know, if we read Hebrews chapter 11, there's an attempt to explain it, and I think it's quite uh, adequate. But in this day and time, people just have faith in faith, in nothing in particular, you know. And, and, and earlier in this same chapter, uh, Jesus calms a storm at the sea, and right before that he does it, he looks at the disciples and he said, where's your faith? And see, they had faith of a sort. And, and, and everybody has faith of some sort. You know, that the most empirical scientist out there would almost say, no, 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 faith is useless. And yet I say, no, it's not. Because in, as I've said many times before, we go into a building. I don't know about you all, but I walk into a building without ever looking at the engineering plans and doing the calculations myself to make sure that it'll hold my weight. Uh, now, there's been a few times that I've stood on a floor or something like that and felt it shaking and saying, not so sure about this place. But uh, when we go down the road in our vehicle and we can't see what's coming our way. We're going around a blind curve. We have faith that the person that might be coming from the other direction is on their side of the road. And so there is a measure of faith in everything we do. And the disciples in this instance, when Jesus asked them that question, where is your faith? Starting out, their faith was in their ability and in that boat. Their faith was, we've been through this. I, I, you know, one of them may have said, you know what? Uh, Peter may have looked at Andrew and said, this is like that one we went through a few years ago here on the Sea of Galilee. We can handle this and we can do this. Uh, and then at some point, their faith in their abilities and their faith in the things of this world began to fail. And they look around at Jesus who is the least qualified as far as uh, worldly knowledge to operate that boat and bring them through it, they look at him and say, Jesus, if you don't do something, we're going to die. And that's Brother Jeremiah's paraphrase. Uh, uh, and then Jesus asked them, where is your faith? Uh, and, and what their faith was, was in their biceps, uh, bailing water out of the, the boat, and their ability to steer that boat, and their ability to do all of these things. But then they, they turned... When everything else had failed, they turned to Christ. 
And for the lost person, I think that's common. But for the Christian, should it be common? Should it be common for the Christian to look around and say, well, I'm going to try everything else and then I'll turn to Christ. Uh, uh, But rather for the Christian, here's the attitude it should be. Now we shouldn't just sit back and say, God's going to do everything for me. He's going to take care of all things. Uh, All I have to do is just sit back and He'll bring it to me. Or is it the attitude of looking around and saying, God, I'm going to do what I can knowing that I'll probably probably fall short, but God, you have what I need, and when I fall short, you'll take care of me, you'll help me, you'll send help, whether it's miraculous, whether it's a brother or sister in Christ, whatever it is that I know, I can depend on you, and that's the kind of faith that the Bible's talking about, not just a placebo effect of knowing that, hey, all things are going to work out just because it's me. Because as we grow up and we get older, I think if we're not careful, especially outside of Christ, we become more and more and more and more cynical. And we look at the things of the world and we know that, hey, stuff doesn't always work out. We get hurt and it never heals up. We have difficulty and it seems to never go away. But our trust in Christ, it is a world-changing thing. It's something that takes the impossible and makes it possible. Because we'll start reading here in verse 41 of Luke chapter 8. It says, And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come unto his house. Verse 42, For he had one only daughter, about twelve years of age, and she lay a-dying. But as he went, the people thronged him. So he comes to Jesus, and he knew enough in this world, and I imagine he'd done everything he could for He was a ruler. He probably had plenty of money. He'd sent for the doctors. The doctors had given her up. All hope in the world had failed and he'd come to Christ. And it had to be a journey of some length because it takes a little bit of time for Jesus to get to her. And he comes and falls at his feet. Now, he's a ruler of a synagogue. He's a Pharisee. He's a high muckety-muck in the religious community. And yet he comes to this man, Jesus, who the Pharisees don't like. And he throws away all pretense of self-righteousness and his own abilities to heal her. And he falls at the feet of Jesus and and begs him and asks and says, will you come and heal my daughter because she's going to die and I know that you have the power to heal her. Uh, you talk about what a confession uh, that that is. And I can tell you uh, that a lot of times as a parent, we may have pride right up until we see our kids uh, about to do without uh, or our kids about to fall short uh, or our kids about to die on us and suddenly... Pride really just isn't all that important anymore. And societal standing and all of these things, and we begin to cast it away. And this man, what he did, now he had faith in all the things of the world uh, leading right up to this moment. But he'd heard about a man named Jesus. He sought him out uh, when Jesus crossed that Sea of Galilee and went through the storm uh, and went through every bit of that. He had an appointment with Jairus. Uh, He had an appointment with a woman that had an issue of blood. Uh, He had that appointment. uh, uh, But they come to him. Because they believed. If he hadn't believed Jesus could do this, even if it was the remotest of all the chances. You see, a lot of times people think, oh no, you've got to believe it without any shadow of a doubt or anything like that. When I can tell you that's the best kind of faith to have. But the way Jesus put it to His disciples when they said, Lord, increase our faith. He told them, He said, look, it don't take much. 
Just a little bit uh, will move mountains. Uh, he said, if you have faith, it's about as the size of a grain of a mustard seed. Uh, he said, you could command a mountain to move. Uh, uh, now, I've never been able to move mountains without using an excavator or something like that. Uh, but I can tell you, if it's necessary uh, uh, for the movement of the kingdom of God, uh, then it'll happen. Uh, and Jairus, when he came to Jesus, no, he might not have uh, been all in, but he had some element of faith there. To believe upon the healing power that Jesus had. And all of it was just because he heard about it. He hadn't been following Jesus the whole time. He come and sought him out. And as Jesus is going along. And, and, and you know I missed this whole thing in, in, in the last part of verse 42. It says, but as he went the people thronged him. That's kind of like if you've ever seen a celebrity. And they're walking through a crowd and there's no crowd control. And everybody's just glomming all over them and grabbing them and everything. And people are crying and just, you know, throwing all manner of fits. And I've always looked at that with some form of derision. Now with Jesus Christ here, I'd say that's, that's almost apt to worship Him in that way. And so He's going along and He's having to go through this crowd. And it's not a quick and easy trip. There's a lot of people there. It's kind of like walking down the hallway of a school when the kids are in between classes. I can tell you it's not an easy way to go. That's one of the things they don't teach you about whenever you're in college uh, learning to be a teacher is how to navigate a hallway when students are everywhere. In but Jesus is making His way. He, he literally, Jairus comes and asks Him, falls down. Jesus says, okay, yeah, no problem at all. It's kind of like the other day I had a student come up to me and, it, and this always dumbfounds me. Can I sharpen my pencil? And I look at him, yeah. I'm not going to stop you from doing it. Yes, you can't do my work if you don't have a, a, a pencil that's sharpened and ready to go. And I imagine that's the way Jesus, when Jairus came to him, because Jairus had what was necessary. He had some faith. If he didn't have faith, he wouldn't have been there. And so Jesus, yeah, sure. He didn't have as great a faith as what he could have had because we learned about a Roman centurion who told Jesus, he said, Jesus, I know you don't even have to come here. I know you don't even have to make the trip. All you have to do is just say it and it's going to happen. I know, I believe, because Jesus looked around and when the, when the centurion sent word to Jesus about that, Jesus looked around and said, I've not found that kind of faith in Israel. He said, this guy gets it. He understands. But all it takes is a little bit. Because Jairus come to Jesus and he asks him and Jesus is going and there's a crowd in the way. Now you imagine in the middle of all this, Jairus is probably saying, get out of the way. He needs to get to my daughter because he thought that if she died before Jesus got there, it was over. He thought we, we've got to hurry. She has but moments. You ever felt that way before? You ever felt so pressed? I imagine this is how Jairus felt. Jesus, we got to go. Can you tell them to get out of the way? And, 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 and Jesus is waiting his way through the crowd, but he's not in any hurry because he knows he has another appointment along the way. Because it says now in verse 43, And a woman having an issue of blood 12 years, which had spent all of her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any. Uh, verse 44, Came behind him and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her issue of blood stanched. That right in the middle of all of that, there's somebody else with some faith. She tried everything. 12 years spent every dime she had. I imagine the cost of health care back then wasn't much different than what it is now. She tried everything. The doctors, not only, I believe it's uh, Matthew that recorded, said that not only did she not get better, 
she got worse. And she comes up and she says within herself, look, I'm not going to have Jesus, you know, I'm afraid, I'm not even worthy to have a conversation with Him. That I know though that His healing power is such and my issue is so small compared to the other things that He's done. I'm not blind. I'm not deaf. I don't have a withered hand. I don't have lame legs. That all I have to do really is just, just touch His garment. Just touch the border of it. And if I get there, I know that I'll get my healing. Is that not faith? She pushed her way through the crowd. She wouldn't let anything stand in between her. It's kind of like the four men who brought their friend to Jesus and couldn't get to Him because of the crowd, so they climbed the roof, tore the roof off, and lowered Him down in the midst. She didn't have any friends, but what she did have was a faith in Christ and a determination. If He'd have looked around and asked, where is your faith? She'd have said, it's in you, Lord. And that's what we should be saying as a society now, is our faith is in Him. It's not in my ability. If you put your faith in Jeremiah Williamson, you have made a mistake. Because I can tell you, I mess up and I fail and I even let me down. I come up short far more often than what I would care to acknowledge. Don't put your faith in me. I'm not good enough. Don't put your faith in yourself. You're not good enough. Uh, You think about now that God is looking for uh, uh, perfection in us uh, and He can't find it there. Uh, And so we need the covering of the Lamb of God. uh, The Lamb without spot or blemish. Uh, We're putting our faith in Him. And that's what this woman does. And she reaches out and touches His garment right in the midst of everybody touching His garment, touching His hair, maybe putting her hands on on His face. If you've ever seen a celebrity try to go through a crowd without crowd control, it gets rough on them. The people are about to hurt them. And Jesus is walking through the midst of all of this. And everybody's glomming all over Him, as we would say. And it says now in verse 45, And Jesus said, Who touched me? He stops right in the middle of it. Now, my, my, I have no scripture to back this up, but my mind conjures an instance of everybody stopping and saying, everybody looking around, pointing at the other person. They touched him. I mean, I just brushed up against him. They touched him. He stopped. Who touched me? And maybe somebody thought they were in trouble. You know, and the disciples are like, really, Jesus? You're asking who touched you? Everybody, everybody was touching you. And that kind of makes me think about the way people approach Christ nowadays. Oh, I've heard of him. Everybody knows something about him. Oh yeah, I've heard of that Jesus guy. But how is he any different than any of the others? How is he any different than Krishna? You see, whenever that we walk around and, and people say this all the time, and I've, I've seen young people walk around and say, y'all need Jesus. And say it with that kind of lispy accent and everything. And it's a joke to them because to them Jesus is no different than Hare Krishna or Buddha or Muhammad or any of the others. And for this, if it had been some other religious high mucking muck, most of the people that were there, they would have been acting the same way. Or the Dalai Lama or one of them and they would have touched him. And, oh, I touched him back in 1966 and it was because, you know, this awesome day. And it meant nothing. Because they really didn't believe on him. And you see, that, that's the thing. When you ask somebody, do you know Jesus? You know, what if they look at you and say, well, do you know Krishna? Well, how, how would we answer that? How would we look and say, Jesus is better than Krishna? 
Jesus is better than Buddha. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Well, my religion says that Krishna is. You know, we have to be able to defend the faith. And that's the thing. It's faith. It's faith in Christ. All these people were touching Him and they really didn't even know why. And this woman comes up and she touches Him and says immediately she is healed. And then Jesus stops and says, Who touched Me? And the remainder of the verse now says, uh, When all denied, Peter and they that were with Him said, Master, the multitude throng Thee and press Thee. And sayest Thou who touched Me? But notice what Jesus says in verse 46. And Jesus said, Somebody hath touched Me for I perceive that virtue is gone out from Me. He said that somebody actually touched me in faith. That they believed and they received healing. They got a blessing because they touched me in faith. And all this is taking place with Jairus impatiently waiting. wanting to hurry up and get to his daughter. But in verse 47, you know, and it's interesting that everybody denied touching Jesus when they had been touching But then in verse 47 it says, And when the woman saw that she was not hid, she came trembling and falling down before him and declared unto him before all the people for what cause she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. That's her first testimony right there. She was able to tell them, Look, I was bad shape. I was sick. No hope of getting better. Doctors would look at me and throw their hands up and say, I can't help you. Nowadays, they'd have probably give her nerve medicine or something. You know, that's kind of their catch-all from those things. It must all be in your head. And she had suffered. She comes to him and she gets to healing and then she's trembling. She thought, did, did, I, did I do something wrong? Jesus didn't draw attention to it because she did something wrong. He called attention to it because she did something right. Because she touched Him in faith believing. She sought Him out in faith believing, not just using His name as a placeholder or as something to hold up as part of a group to belong to, but rather she came to Him because she knew she could heal Him. And when she touched the border of His garment, that's exactly what happened. And then she declared it amongst the crowd. I touched Him and I was healed. I didn't even actually touch his skin. I just touched his clothes. And when I touched it, I knew I had been changed. And then in verse 48, and you know, being a teacher, uh, you know, I've learned a lot of things. God showed me a lot of things. And one of the things that he showed me, you know, I've never really particularly liked teaching the sixth grade. It's grown on me a little bit. I actually am not teaching it this year, but sixth graders are more like elementary schoolers. And I said from the very beginning, I don't want to teach elementary school. They're so needy. Okay, I'm not the nurturer. In, in our family, that's Sister Crystal. It's not me. But I found that those kids, they'll come to me and they'll be upset. And, you know, it, it, it's really not a big deal. It, it's not anything that in the grand scheme of things is life and death or anything like that. But I found that God has begun to work with me to be more compassionate with them. And when they're upset, I had a kid come to me one time because they didn't understand what I was trying to teach them. With tears in her eyes, she came to me and said, Mr. Williamson, I'm trying so hard, but I just don't understand. And I looked at her. And I mean, I, I was filled with compassion for her because she was. She was genuinely trying. And I told her, I said, look, it's okay. This stuff isn't easy. I said, I'm glad you've come to me because now I can help you. I said, I can't tell you how many students sit there and don't understand and never say a word to me and I can't read their minds. 
And I told her, I said, it's very brave of you to come up here and do this. And I told her, I said, but don't cry about this. It's not the end of the world. And it's actually a good thing that you've done. And I'm telling you, it was, it was different as day and night. Her whole demeanor changed when that I comforted her. I hadn't even started teaching her and got her to a point of understanding. And just so you know, she did end up understanding that better than any other kid in the class. All because she'd asked me, I need help. And I think you can help me. No different than what this woman did with Jesus. On a grander scale though, she came to Him. She knew He could help. She touched His garment. She was healed. And then she thought she was in trouble. Come trembling. I'm sorry, but I really needed help, Jesus. And I didn't want to inconvenience you by stopping you or anything. I knew you were on your way to help Jairus. And I hate that we're even held up now. I just needed healed. And I knew that the hem of your garment could do it. And then look what Jesus says to her in verse 48. And He said unto her, Daughter, be of good comfort. I don't think I'm going out on a limb when I say that Jesus would smile at people and was kind. And He looked there and He said, It's okay. You did nothing wrong. You did things right. He said, You got in touch with something that few have. And you demonstrated something that I've been saying all along. And then He tells her, He says... Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. Everything's okay. Maybe he could have looked at her and said, Don't doubt what you've got. Have you ever had that happen when the Lord touches you and then Satan comes along and says, No, it's a temporary fix. It's only temporarily better. It's only a temporary improvement. It's the placebo effect. And everybody knows what that is. That's where you believe in something so much so that there's some kind of psychological thing that takes place and manifests itself physiological, but it doesn't last. And Satan all the time, whenever we get a miracle, he'll come along and try to tell you, no, that didn't happen. It's not better. God didn't touch you. But Jesus told her, your faith has made you whole. Don't let anybody or anything take this away from you. Your issue of blood is over. And he told her, that's it. You got it. He didn't ask her where her faith was. He knew it was obvious to all where her faith was. He told her, your faith has made you whole. No different. I mean, I, I like to contrast this with when that Jesus comes up to a man, I believe it's in John chapter 8, if I remember right. The man at the pool of Bethesda. You remember what Jesus asked him when he walks up? And it shows me here, sometimes they sought him out because they, they come and believe. Some Jesus would come to so that they would believe. To this man, he looked down at him and said, Would you be made whole? And his, his answer is, I have no man. Ultimately, what happens is, Jesus says, I'll be your man. Because all the men that that guy could have depended on, they may have not been fast enough. Might not have got into the water in time. But Jesus said, you don't need the water. Here's what you have. Rise up. Take up your bed and walk out of here. And the man obeyed him in faith. Now, did he have as much faith starting out as this woman with the issue of blood? Probably not. But after? After, I'd say they, they both were relatively on the same level because they begin to ask the man. They're like, well, how did you do this? Why were you carrying your bed on the Sabbath? And the Pharisees had jumped out and their goon squad and everything. And they harassed him. And at one point, he looks around at him. He says, look, here. Because he, they kept asking him over and over and over and over again. They were interrogating him and asking him all these things. He said, look, I don't know whether he's a prophet or not. 
He said, but this I do know. I couldn't walk before. And after encountering him and him commanding me to rise up, take up my bed and walk out of there, I did. I know that he had the power to do that. This woman knew that Jesus could do that and then she received it. Her faith made her whole. Your faith makes you whole. It's not just about in an academic understanding of the Word of God. Trust me, I know I tried that. That was my first step. I sat down and read all the Gospels. And I had more of an understanding, but still didn't believe. I had no faith. I wanted to believe. I wanted comfort in God's Word. I hoped, because when I sat down and read this, it was mere days after that my father had taken his own life. And I sat down with the Bible and I began to read. Well, Dad seemed to really think highly of this book. And it was this same Bible. It was his before it was mine. And I began to read through it hoping that I would read one particular Scripture that would just suddenly change everything. And it didn't happen for me like that. It was a process. But I kept working toward the point to where that I could believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see what Jesus says to this woman right here? I think it's similar to what will happen when we stand before the throne of God and we're judged. And Satan trots out and points at us. And brings out all the bad stuff that we've ever done. We may look and say, I don't even remember that. I remember doing that. I don't remember saying that. Because the Bible says every idle word we're going to have to give an account of. That's not good. Things I've said and I've been hanging out with the boys, I really don't want God to know about that. Stuff that I said when I was a middle schooler. Stuff that I'd done. Stuff that I looked at. Stuff that I, I found great joy in. And I'm going to have to give an account for all that. And then maybe at the moment, you know, it's kind of like, in, and I don't know if you all do this, but there's been times that I've had a dream, and in the dream, something's not going my way. And then right in the middle of it, I, I, I stop and say, well, wait a minute. That's not the way it is. That's not true. That's, this is a dream. This is not real. And I imagine that we were standing before the throne of God and maybe, yes, we're guilty of sin. But then we say, wait a minute. I have faith in Christ. Jesus would say, that's right, I paid for every bit of that sin. You see, because what the world doesn't understand, and even more so now than ever, through all of the recent, uh, in the last few years, the billions and trillions of dollars in stimulus packages and student loan cancellations and all of these things, somebody's got to pay. With sin, somebody's got to pay. And Jesus, when He looked at this woman, said, I've paid for your sin. Because what brought on her sickness? Sin. Because all sickness and all death is a result of sin. And so he looks at her and he says, Thy faith has made thee whole go in peace. And when we're about to be judged guilty, our faith in Christ has made us whole and we get to enter into the glory of God. We can't trot out and say, yeah, but look how much money over the years I put in the offering plate. Look at how many sermons I preached. Look at how often I prayed. I never missed a chance to pray over my food and all these things. That won't cut it, brothers and sisters, but what will is Jesus Christ and Him crucified for your sins. That's all that it is and it's your faith in Him. Not to say that we're not to do those other things. 
But if it don't start with Christ, the rest of it is kind of pointless when it comes to getting into heaven. But you'll notice in the midst of all of this, when Jesus is addressing this, that the worst news possible comes to Jairus. It says in verse 49, While he yet speak, there cometh one from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying to him, Thy daughter is dead. Trouble not the master. Now, I don't know about you, but that kind of news will bring you to your knees. When you get that news, someone you care very much about is gone. It takes the wind out of your sails, so to speak. And I imagine that Jairus' legs turned to jelly. But then Jesus began to speak kindly to him. You see, in our most difficult times, that's when he's at his best. When he's, when, when he's most present in our lives. And it says in verse 50, but when Jesus heard it, he answered him. Saying, fear not, believe only, and she shall be made whole. I imagine his heart broke for him, saying, I've always been a type of person, if I'm around somebody that's grieving, I can't help but get upset myself. I used to think it was a curse, I think it's a blessing. Now, I viewed it more so as that. And Jesus looked at him, he said, it's going to be okay. You ever been there? And you've gotten bad news and somebody looks at you and they say, it's going to be okay. And you might find yourself saying, how in the world would you know? You don't even have a clue. And see, he'd sought Jesus out. And Jesus knew she was going to die. But it was going to be for the glory of the Most High. And so Jesus tells him, don't, don't you pay attention to what they said. You keep your eyes on me. You trust in me. You ever felt that in your life before where the world is bombarding you? But you just keep your eyes on Jesus. Where is your faith? Is it in the things of the world? Is it in the bad news and the lies that Satan tries to just dump over you in a deluge? Or is it, I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus and though He slay me, yet shall I serve Him. Though I lose everything, I'll trust in Him. Because if we don't have our faith in Him to that extent, we need to get there as quickly as possible because the world isn't going to let us stay comfortable. And so Jesus comforts him in this. And then it says in verse 51, And when he come into the house, he suffered no man to go in save Peter and James and John and the father and mother of the maiden. He put the rest of them out. They were weeping and wailing and upset. And one of the things about this is that it wasn't yet time for people to really see the power of Christ. Really see Him as the Son of the Most High. Because in, in just a, a, a brief while before this, Jesus met a demon-possessed man and they recognized Him. They knew He was the Son of the Most High. And Jesus forbid them to speak because it wasn't yet time. And in this instance, he keeps Peter, James, and John with him. And it wasn't because they were the best. It was because they were the little ones. And they needed to see this that they could believe. And mother and father is there. Jesus, I believe Matthew recorded that when Jesus said she's not dead, they laughed him to scorn. Oh, <laughs> get a load of this guy. Buddy, I know what a dead person looks like and that little girl in there is dead. And Jesus puts them out. He says, everybody out. Father and mother, I believe they're fighting back tears. They're doing everything they can to believe in Jesus. Now their faith might have been at an all-time low, but they still put everybody out. That was a demonstration of their faith in Him. If they said, all right, everybody out. Do whatever Jesus says and get out because He's going to do His work. Even though they might have said, I don't know what He can do. I've never heard of Him raising a dead person. 
But I know that I read back in the Old Testament, one of the Old Testament scrolls, although they didn't call them that then yet, that there was an instance in which the prophet Elijah raised a young boy from the dead. The prophet Elisha did a similar miracle for the Shunammite widow's son. Raised him from the dead. And so there we have the room with this dead little girl, Jesus, Peter, James, and John, and that girl's mother and father. And then it says in verse 52, And all wept and bewailed her. He said, Weep not, she is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. And he put them all out and took her by the hand and called, saying, Maid, arise. Dead ears don't hear. You can talk to a dead person all you want and they don't hear you. But they hear the voice of the Lord. Those that we've put in the grave that we love and that know Christ. The Apostle Paul wrote and he said that they that died in Christ are going to be called up first. He's going to call their name. And they're going to rise up and we that remain, he said, we're going to be caught up with them. And all Jesus did was he spoke to her. He told her to rise. He didn't do CPR. He didn't inject her with anything or anything else. He just spoke to a dead little girl. And it says in verse 55, and her spirit came again. And she arose straightway and he commanded to give her meat. And her parents were astonished, but he charged them they should tell no man what was done. It wasn't time yet. But you see, there come a time later when they told. That's why we have it here. Peter and James and John, they wrote it down. And you see, the, the whole basis of all of this is that there was a measure of faith in all of it. Now I can tell you this, I would love to be able to stand up here and tell you that if one of your little children, one of your loved ones dies on you, that you have but to just have a measure of faith or something like that. I can't tell you that. I can't make any promises with that. But I can tell you that it's not an impossibility either. And that's more hope than the world can ever give. This was for the glory of God. This was so they would look around just as the uh, disciples did when Jesus rebuked the wind and the waves and they said, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? You think Peter, James, and John might have talked about this later on and said, she was dead, right? Maybe that Peter looked at James and John and said, now, I've not been around a lot of dead people, but I know what a dead person looks like and that little girl looked dead. I don't think she was just sleeping. But to Jesus, that was all it was. She was taking a nap and He was going to reunite body and soul and bring her back so that it would be for the glory of the Most High God. So that Jairus' faith in Him would be rewarded. And you see, sometimes people come to Him with a measure of faith. Sometimes people had no faith, but they leave Him with a measure of faith. Just like the man at the pool of Bethesda or the woman at the well or the woman caught in adultery. You remember that little Jim? When they come and brought him, brought her to Jesus, she was guilty. And she was to be killed. And Jesus, the righteous judge, he could have said, yeah, kill her. Yeah, that's, that's what the law says. The law commands she should die. But rather, he said, I'll pay for that. I'll take that punishment. And then he looked at her. And he told her, he said, there's no condemner. I'm not condemning you, but go 
and said, no more. Do you think she had a measure of faith in Christ after that? Because they come to him and asked, and not only, see, they could have said, well, we're going to kill her anyway if Jesus had said, no. They said, well, we're going to kill her anyway because that's what the law says and we have the authority to do it. And they did. The Romans would have said, it's Jews killing Jews. I don't care. That's essentially what Pilate said when the Jews brought Jesus to him. As he said, take him and judge him by your law. It doesn't mean anything to me. And then they ultimately ended up killing him. And this adulterous woman, when she was brought to Jesus, the Romans wouldn't have stopped him if they'd have stoned her to death or anything else. And Jesus not only stopped them and stayed death from them, but he also told her, you better straighten up. You better trust in the Lord God. Do you think she maybe followed Jesus around a little bit? I, I, I kind of inclined to think, yeah. Because he told her. She, he saved her from death. Now she might not have come to him in faith believing, but she definitely believed afterwards. Some come to him just because of hearing. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Some, you know, it's a longer route. For me, it was a long route. But when he told this woman with the issue of blood, my faith has made thee whole. I mean, we're sitting here, and as far as I know, everybody's a Christian. Did our faith make us whole? What is our measure of faith? And it, and it, and it ebbs and flows, I think, sometimes, especially with the difficulties of life. We may have to ask just like the disciples did, Lord, increase our faith. Now know this. That may not be easy. It may be a difficult path to walk, but it's better. Do you think that Jairus' faith was increased after this? But now you think about the distress he was in before Jesus looked at her and said, Talithia kumi, I say unto thee, arise. And she rose up. It was scary. It was worsening for a moment. But Jesus brought her out. No different than him looking at the disciples and saying, where's your faith? What's it in? What are we trusting in? Are we trusting in the things of the world? Or are we trusting in Him who has this world in the palm of His hand? And if there's any answer other than we're trusting in Him, that's a problem. Let's all stand and get a song.